My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. few weeks ago, this headline kept popping up online saying, New Jersey should expect the colder and snowier winter this year. Now that prediction came from the annual publication of the Farmer's Almanac. And this was one of those moments where my ADD reared its ugly head and I asked myself, didn't they say this last year and we had like zero snow? And then thanks to Google, I wasted more time than I wanted to to learn all about the Farmer's Almanac, their predictions, their accuracy rate, where the publishers say they're 85% accurate, while Wikipedia says 50, so you make your own judgment. But in my ongoing research, I came upon a list of other claims that were historically dead wrong from bankers who were advising Henry Ford to abandon all of his pursuits in production of cars, telling him not to waste his money because the horse is here to stay. The automobile is a fad, it's a novelty. Or how investors pressed on uh, backing this invention called a television for the same reason. Televisions won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Even when Alexander Graham Bell went to sell someone the patent to the telephone, he was dismissed. And the guy who passed on it said, the idea is idiotic on the face of it. Why would any person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when he could send a messenger to the telegraph office and have a clear written message sent to any large city in the United States? Ironically, people haven't learned much from history. Just in 2007, the CEO of Microsoft said, there is no chance 
that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. I couldn't help but wonder what motivated these individuals to take the stand that they did. Maybe they were just too narrow-minded to to see the potential. Some might have been too arrogant and confident in the way things were, the things that they were comfortable with that they couldn't even conceive of something new or different. You have to imagine some were trying to protect what they're invested in and hoping to just deflate the expectations of a rival. But what stands out to me is how certain they are in their their statements. Whatever the reason, they they missed out on being a part of something big. I wonder if they ever even regretted it. When was the last time you were sure about something? And what was the reason for your confidence? Praying with this gospel this week, there's a part about it that's been bothering me. As Catholics, we see this passage as how Jesus clearly established the office of the papacy, making Simon, now Peter, the first pope. And this was one of those gospels that always made me feel very proud to be Catholic and and very secure in my faith as we heard those words, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. When I was visiting Rome for the first time only about a dozen years ago, and just walking into the Vatican, into St. Peter's Square, just the enormity of the basilica itself was, was overwhelming. Remembering that this was built centuries ago, after taking over a century to complete, replacing previous churches that had been right there over the same place where St. Peter had given his life and martyred him for Christ and his church over two millennia ago, and where he's buried. Seeing the, the giant dome over his tomb with those words at the base, to S. Petrus, you are Peter. Just the letters themselves are over nine feet tall so that you would be able to read them from the floor below. It's just amazingly overwhelming to just come into contact with these sites and just to feel the history. But it's far more than that. As you go outside and you can see the 265th successor to Peter, Pope Francis, addressing thousands from around the world from from the window above the Vatican. All those people who've come to Rome from around the world. Being there on pilgrimage with this group that included the most devout of Catholics to those who weren't practicing any faith, it was so moving to see how this affected every single one of them. Even as we couldn't escape all the stories of all the incredible threats and challenges that Catholic Christians have faced throughout the centuries, things that seemed at the time destined to wipe out the church, yet the church is still here. The tour guide just had to point to all the tombs of martyrs and places like the Colosseum where thousands of Christians were executed as a sick form of entertainment just for refusing to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. There was a sense of triumphalism where even as we recounted some of the significant failures 
and tremendous sins and scandalous behaviors of, of members and worst church leaders throughout the centuries up to present day that has brought incredible pain and, and hurt and shame, but we're unable ultimately to end the church. The fact that the church is still here is miraculous, and it seems to confirm the truth of Christ's words. But that triumphalism can be disastrous when the reason for our confidence in the gospel becomes something of arrogance or a lukewarm faith. Where we can believe that because even though we've seen and experienced all these difficult things, we're on the right team and that's all that matters. Where we end up treating our faith like some sort of insurance policy that we're just glad that we have. And that's why those words from St. Paul in that second reading really stuck out to me. For the last 10 Sundays, the second reading has been coming from this letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Now just, we have to remember, Paul had been this devout Jew, was zealous in his faith and being a Pharisee, was someone who had given his life just to the study of the scriptures. And after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven and commissioning his disciples to go into the world, to proclaim his gospel to every end of the world, and baptize everyone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Paul saw this as a great threat to Judaism. And he became one of Christianity's fiercest of persecutors. The scales from his eyes are removed, both literally and figuratively, after Paul encounters the risen Christ. He could see how his arrogance and his fear blinded him from seeing what God had been doing and was doing right before him. So fast forward to this letter to the Romans. Now in the greatest of ironies, the devout Jew was sent to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the last people he would have ever had crossed paths with before his encounter with Jesus. The Gentiles who would have been labeled as unclean, that they would have nothing to do with them. In this letter to the Romans last week, we read him writing about how God in his great love has poured out his mercy upon all all, Jew and Gentile. God was using the Jewish people to bring salvation to the entire world. And in today's reading, he almost sounds like he's, he's just lost in awe and in reverence at what God's done. Not just on some theological level where he's recounting the right things to say and telling people what they need to do, but someone who's been personally convicted intimately in his own life, as he says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments, how unsearchable his ways. He can't believe it for himself. And that's exactly what makes Simon Peter. Simon Peter couldn't have been more different than Paul. As a fisherman, he was nowhere near as well-versed in the scriptures. Yet on this particular day, when, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? It comes from his gut. It comes from his heart and his soul. It comes from this inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You're the Christ, 
the son of the living God. There's a boldness, there's a conviction there. It wasn't just this spontaneous utterance where he was lucky he got the right answer. But it was a revelation of how Simon had grown into this faith that he's professing. What had started out as him responding to this call of Jesus to let go of his plans and his self-interest, where Jesus radically shifts Simon to let go of all those things that he was doing as a fisherman, where he'd just be focused on his business and his family, to now following the man who now called him to the shore to fish for men. And in the time since, Simon had indeed witnessed and experienced some incredibly special things and incredible miracles and heard Jesus' preaching. So this was divine revelation, but it was also Simon's own logic and reasoning bringing him to this conclusion. There had been and will never be anyone like Jesus Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus rejoices in Peter's moment of clarity and of vision. It's almost this continuation of what we heard a few weeks ago in the gospel, where Peter learned that when he's focused on Jesus, when he's listening to his voice and following his footsteps, Peter himself can do amazing things, like even walk on water. And that's the takeaway truth for all of us. The church will be able to withstand the gates of the netherworld only when we keep our focus on Jesus. When the reason for our confidence is not this hubris born of arrogance in our history, but in that we truly believe and profess and that we're willing to lay down our lives, confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When our faith is in Christ, then nothing can shake our sureness and our confidence that comes from him.